post-game show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Come on, Dorn, get in front of the ball. Don't give me this Ole bullshit. Well, you may run like maze, but you hit like shit. Bad reference here, but they're, they're throwing 100 miles an hour and nailing every line they have. Welcome to Worth the Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Palilla. With me, as always, Mike Kennedy. Hello, Mike. Up your butt, Joe Boo. You know, Mike, just like our movie this week, this podcast has three or four potential all-stars on it. That's right. This week, it's Major League. Debuted April 7th, 1989. Filmed for a budget of only $11 million, which is pretty impressive it was that low. It grows $50 million, so I guess you could call that a, a win. Uh, this movie really had a life after the theater, though. How many times do you think you've seen this on TV? Where Not even like watch, it just saw that it was on TV. Mm, 100? I, Easy? Probably, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say at least 50, but you're probably right, more yeah. towards 100. And I'll say, uh, watching this unedited, it is much better unedited than it is on like TBS. It's like the thing is, after watching it, I was like, oh, they say fuck a lot more than I thought they <laughs> yes, did. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I'm so used to it being dubbed out, especially the scene with Dorn and Charlie Sheen fighting. It's but, but so, then uh, like, the audio is so dubbed, it's like you, it doesn't even match their mouths even remotely close. I, I was going to say that there's even like, there's parts though that I knew that were dubbed, and then there's parts that I assumed that were dubbed. Like, I'm tired of this nickel and dime stuff. Yeah, and he just actually says nickel and dime stuff. (laughs) I thought it was bullshit the whole time. I always, my whole like life, I've been saying I'm sick and tired of this nickel and dime bullshit. I've said that many times in my life. Oh, a million. And I'm confusing everything we do. This Olay bullshit is the stuff that I'm confusing it with. Yes, (laughs) yes. This movie for us really took off in college, thanks to two of our roommates who remain nameless to this point, but uh, they, they live with us our junior, no, sophomore year that re- essentially quoted this movie constantly. And that's where this movie, I, I know for me at least, kind of took off. And then it's just been nonstop ever since. But anyways, uh, what would you say the Rotten Tomato critic score of this movie would be? <sighs> I know the IMDb because I was on IMDb today, so it was like seven point two or three or something like 7. that. Seven point two, correct. Um, judging by that, I th- I'm gonna go with a critic score of like, not sure how they felt about this. Maybe like seventy eight, eighty three. You would have thought that they probably lost a couple points because of the language, but not quite as much as maybe you think. I would, I would have, I was thinking more along the lines of you, uh, that it would have been more somewhere laying in the seventies, but eighty three percent. What about the audience score? Uh, I think probably pretty well, probably like a eighty eight, eighty nine, eighty four. I actually thought it would have been more like where you said. I actually thought it would have crept into the nineties, because I mean, this is, this is almost a perfect sports movie. It really is. Like I said, it goes. Other than you'll notice in my when I do the synopsis, I kind of cut out the little love stuff that goes i really don't even i don't even talk about her it's it's kind of pointless i i agree it's kind of pointless 
if Rene Russo weren't so incredibly good looking, it wouldn't even be useful at all. And, and you know, it's it's not that I don't think that that's good. I just, admittedly, those are the there's not humor in that part. You know, it's a really funny movie, and there's not a lot of humor in that part. It's very, very. You know, they're trying to add a little love story to it. They and tried I to make. I, I think what they did is they tried to make, and maybe when the movie was originally written, designed, whatever it had been. Uh, Jake Taylor was supposed to be the main character and they never probably thought that these other ancillary characters would take on such a personality. And instead of being a cast of characters and all of them, they tried to have it like a Jake Taylor movie with all these people around them. And it turned out all of them turned out to be so good and have their own streams weaving in and out, including the manager that it ended up being like, and to your point, you're going to give this synopsis. You could have made this movie without Rene Russo in the movie, and it's the same movie. One of my favorite lines does come because of her, but it's not. It doesn't involve her directly. It involves one of the other characters talking about her. Oh no! Like you could have taken that out, and I don't really think you would have changed the movie at all. Agreed, hundred percent. It might have been like that thing in the '80s where they kind of felt like they had to have a love interest. And they, so it was kind of cookie cutter. Like they had to kind of jam it in there. So I feel like in so many movies, they feel like they have to have a little bit of like love intrigue going on with somebody. I guess, I guess, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. All right. Well, but, speaking of them, let's get into the cast. So Lou Brown is the manager played by James Gammon. He was on the TV show Natch Bridges. It's really the only thing I saw him on that I really. Like, he had a consistent run, and he was kind of a main person from... He passed away in 2010. I thought it was more recent than that. I remember when he passed, but I didn't realize it was that long ago. Uh, Jake Taylor is most probably known from Platoon, and then he was in Inception. And then he was in Sniper, One Shot, One Kill. <laughs> uh, he was Next is Willie Mays Hayes, played by Wesley Snipes. Most notably from Blade, Passenger 57, and he was in the latest Expendables movies, if, if you've seen Expendables 3. He most, he's most known because he went to jail for, what, a year, two years for tax evasion? Yeah. That's probably what he's going to be known for mm-hmm. for a while. Next is Pedro Serrano, played by Dennis Haysbert. He was President Palmer in 24, and he's been on Allstate commercials for 15 years, probably. That super recognizable voice? Yeah, he's... I'll I'll say it's been about 15 years, at least 10. I remember when we saw him, like, oh, it's President Palmer. Anyways. Uh, Next is Roger Dorn, played by Corbin Burnson. He was in the TV show Psych for a long time. He played the dad, which is a good show. I recommend it. And then he's in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for a little bit. He's kind of had a lot of, like, small roles here and there. He's he's actually in uh, the new season of Punisher. Yeah, oh, really? I, I haven't watched the, that new show. Uh, yet. The first season was really good. I'm probably about a little over halfway through the second. It's, it's like okay. It's not definitely not as good as the first. The first one really got me pumped up. The second one's just kind of, kind of. Some of the stuff just gets annoying over and over again. It's kind of, it's kind of weird, a little bit. Is that Netflix or Hulu? Netflix? Okay, that's what I thought. Off the, off the first season is definitely worth watching. Tell you that much. Uh, next, we have Ricky Vaughn, played by Charlie Sheen. We're going to get in Charlie Sheen's career a little bit later. 
The last two, Lynn Wells, played by Renee Russo, as we were talking about. She was in the Thomas Crown Affair. She was in Ten Cops. She was in Thor. Still to this day, incredibly good-looking woman. Just going to say that. And then lastly, Rachel Phelps, played by Margaret Witten. Didn't really have anything else I recognized her from. She had a couple small things. Movie she was in with uh, uh, Michael J. Fox, isn't it? Secret to My Success. Yes, and I've never seen that. It's it pops up as you would uh, most known for. I so. can't remember if he hooks up with her or not, but she's like trying to bang him pretty much. I remember. I believe like his he's got like a love interest with the like her daughter maybe. A little bit of um, the graduate going on there, Mrs. Robinson style. Kind of. I'm not sure if it's ex- if it's that's exactly what it is. I, I know he's got he's got a crush on this chick, and then like this Margaret, whatever her name is. Tries to like try. She she made success. It's been so long since I've seen the movie, but I remember. Uh, lastly, I'll throw him in there. Bob Euchre played Harry Doyle. Bob Euchre was on what TV show? He was he was the longtime announcer for the, the the Milwaukee Brewers, and I think he's still doing it. He's getting pretty pretty up there in age. He uh, he was the dad on Mr. Belvedere. Yes. So he actually had somewhat of an acting career before this. He was started. in those Miller Lite commercials too and stuff. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was in the Miller Lite commercials for a long time. Which actually, there's there's something in the in our internet flag, internet facts later that uh, he actually was a professional that, so. catcher too for a couple of years. Oh, played, I didn't know that he, part. He wasn't like very good. I think he had about five or six seasons or something like that. And I was reading that his batting average was like 200 or something like that at the end. When he was okay. So, so right around the Mendoza yeah. line, he was just average at best. All right, Mike, why don't you give us the synopsis? <clears throat> New Cleveland Indians owner and former Vegas showgirl, Rachel Phelps wants to move the team to Miami, which has promised her a sweet deal, including a new stadium. In order to do this, she must reduce the season's attendance at Cleveland to under 800,000. Believing that finishing dead last will knock attendance down low enough for her to move, she instructs her new general manager, Charlie Donovan, to hire the worst team possible from a, from a list she has already prepared. The list includes veteran catcher Jake Taylor, who has problems with his knees and was last playing in Mexico, incarcerated pitcher Ricky Vaughn, who has an incredible fastball but lacks control, outfielder Pedro Serrano, who despite his tremendous power cannot hit a curveball and practices voodoo to improve his game, Veteran pitcher Eddie Harris, who no longer has a strong throwing arm and is forced to doctor his pitches with the likes of Vagisil, Crisco, Bardal, and Snot. And third baseman, Roger Dorn, a one-time star who is under contract but has become a high-priced prima donna who refuses to field hard ground balls because he's afraid of potential injuries. And then last, we have manager Lou Brown, a career minor league manager for the Toledo Munheads who works in the offseason as a tire salesman. The Indians' new season starts off poorly. Vaughn's initial pitching appearance ends in disaster with his wild, with his wild pitches earning him the derogatory title of Wild Thing. Eventually, uh, Brown discovers Vaughn has poor eyesight and he, all he needs is some glasses. Despite their flaws, the team begins to improve and Phelps starts nickel and diming everything, including the plane, buses, and broken equipment, anything she can do to help the team lose. Donovan, the GM, informs Brown that Felp, of Phelps' plans to move the team to Miami. The team uses this information as motivation to win the division, which they do in a tie-breaking game against the Yankees. 
So uh, one thing I, I meant to say is the director of this movie is David Ward, who directed several movies that I like, including The Program, which I'm hoping we can do later this year, and Down Periscope, which we were talking about not that long ago. As well as he wrote Sleepless in Seattle and The Sting. So he's had himself a pretty successful career beyond Major League. So some thoughts on the movie. And I want to talk about mainly what the premise of this movie revolves around and what actually happened in 1989. So in 1989, the Cleveland Indians actually finished 73-89, and 16 games back in their division. The worst record in baseball history since the league went to 162 games, although this is only 160, is the 1962 New York Mets, their first year in the league. They finished 40 and 120 and were 60 and a half games back, which is incredible. The two that are closest to that are the 2003 Detroit Tigers, which finished 43 and 119. And were 47 games back. And then the 2018 Baltimore Orioles, who were 47 and 115 and finished 61 games back of your eventual World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. That's incredible. So just when they were saying they were trying to lose every game they could, even she comments, I can't, I thought we'd only win 15 games all season. The statistics alone are going to drag you up somewhere around 40. The next thing, she said, if attendance falls below 800,000 for the year, that means the average attendance would be somewhere under 10,000 people per game. 800,000 divided by 81 games, something like 9,600, something like that. So I figured it out. Uh, The Florida Marlins entered the league in 1993 uh, because actually in the late late 80s, they were trying to add a team there. So that actually was quasi-true. In a fun twist of fate, the Florida Marlins beat the Albert Bell-led Cleveland Indians to win the World Series in 1997. So just some interesting things about what actually was going on in 1989 around the Indians and what it would have looked like had they actually had the worst, one of the worst records in history. There you go. There you go. So as we were talking about saying this is kind of like a perfect movie almost, I think this movie – and, and – Someone out there, you can correct me, but I think this movie kind of set the formula on how to make a sports movie, especially a comedic sports movie, which is you meet the ragtag group of players at the beginning. Everyone sucks. Then you get one or two things that bring them together and you win in the end. It also has like the broadcaster that hates everything. Even there's a scene where Jake Taylor's talking shit to the batter, which they end up using in the sandlot, like all that kind of stuff. So what do you think of that? No, yeah, definitely. Like you get some more of the, uh, you know, the announcer drinking. I feel like we've seen it. We think we, yes. I feel like we see that a lot in a lot of these uh, baseball moves that we've done this year. <laughs> no, it's because baseball is, is so slow. No, it's it's an easy it's, thing. To do. No, it's I, more I, that their team's terrible and there's nobody like in the stands watching the games and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they did the exact same thing in Rookie of the Year with John Candy. But no, yeah, it definitely sets it up the right way. And I'm going to ask you a question, Mike, because I'm very curious. We kind of got into this at the end of the la- of our last episode. 
First off, do you think this is the best baseball movie ever? Like I said, it's it's really tough for me. This is definitely like a top two or three up there. Like I said, it's it's like it's different. Like for just like Sandlot has like a special place in my heart for some reason. Well, you grew up but, watching, it. yeah. So it's like a movie that you can watch with anybody too. You know, not just like, yeah. We even said that before. It's like such a a perfect movie for. I'm I'm excited for my kids to watch it someday. They've even watched a little bit of it when it's been on TV. It's uh, it's something that you don't have to catch the TV version to watch it with your family. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I go, I watch, like, I watch this this one though, and I definitely laugh harder at this one. Oh yeah, this one is when you're 17 to whatever age, you'll laugh harder at this one for sure. Like when it comes, right. when it comes down to, it, it's like if you're saying comedy too, like yeah, I think it's a little better than Bull Durham. But you know, then you have like. Some stuff that's a little more serious. You got, you know, the natural, you've got Field of Dreams, which are all baseball related, but they're like not comedies. They're like serious. Yes. That's kind of like comedy wise, this this is definitely top one, two right here, like probably comedy right here. Okay, so I'm gonna ask this question as a follow up then. Is it the best comedic sports movie ever? Hey, you really put me on the spot here. Um, really putting you on the spot. I mean it. It might be. I mean, Slapshot's good too. I, yeah, Slapshot, Slapshot, Slapshot actually may have even set the formula for this movie. Now that I think about it, but they don't really win in the end. They don't really win anything in the end. With this one, it's the you get the dramatic ending. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this one. I really do feel like this is the best baseball movie ever, ever, and the best comedic sports movie ever. And we did the replacements last year and the replacements essentially is this movie on a football field. Not quite as good. I still feel like it's kind of like the same kind of thing that like they, they follow the exact same formula, but I really do. I think this is the best baseball movie, the best comedic sports movie. It's one of the, no, I don't want to say one of the, it's one of the best sports ensemble cast movies too. Because you've got like when you say comedic sports movies, you could even throw in like Happy. That's Gilmore. what I was saying. I was like, what about like Happy Gilmore, like Dodgeball? Oh, Dodgeball's yeah, I mean, hard to beat. Like, Dodgeball's I'm hard to beat. Like uh, I was like, because I was like, I mean, when you're looking at some of the big name sports, Dodgeball is not the big name. This <laughs> is not a big name. No, no. Uh, Blades of Glory. I mean, I'm not not big name, but goddamn, that movie. I ain't allowed to play dodgeball in schools anymore, so. Yeah, I I would say it's it has to be in the conversation at all times for both of those. Let's just let's just say that. Agreed. All right, so I'm going to name off a couple players and tell me if you think they would have been cut after spring training or if they would at least started the season in the minors. All right, yeah. Jake Taylor. Jake Taylor probably would have made the team. Just because of his, Great. just because of his, uh, even if he's not starting, you know, he's he's like a leadership, the backup. He's catcher. a leadership old guy, you know, like all four. Yeah, he's in the clubhouse. He's the backup catcher. He catches two games a week, kind of thing. Agreed. Ricky Vaughn. He's in the minors. Agreed. I think they'd go down and say, "Look, we're going to work on your mechanics." Willie Mays Hayes. He's in the Myers. See, I think he would have made it and been coming off the bench. He would have been the fourth outfielder. 
because of his speed, I think they would have left him in to at least been a pinch running option Sunday afternoon game guy. Pedro Serrano. You mean Pedro Alvarez, pretty much? <laughs> <laughs> I think this one actually hits better. <laughs> All they do is hit home runs. They can't, they can't yeah. For those of you that don't know, uh, look up Pedro Alvarez, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, and you'll know exactly what he gets like 30 home runs, gets like 80, 90 RBIs, but has the bats like 210. A 230 <laughs> bat, yeah, like maybe 230. Not yeah. a very good, like, he, and then they sent him to the minors, and he bat like 300, like 330. Yeah, and that's what I actually think would be the Pedro Serrano thing. I think he would have gone to the minors to work on hitting breaking balls, and he would have gone down there and just hit like you know 40 home runs because the pitch movement is nowhere remotely close in the minors versus the majors. And they would have, you know, he would have been down there raking, and they would have brought him up, and he would have been one for 36. I mean, in all seriousness, the the guy would have never been called up if he can't hit a curveball. Like, you, even in the minors, you got to be able to hit a curveball. Yes, yes, because minor league pitching is going to at least be able to throw some some benders And on knowing there. that you can't hit a curveball, you think that's pretty much all you'd be working on. Yeah. Um, I was, The other people I, that we could ask about, Dorn, Harris. Harris is too old. His contract never allowed it. Dorn, obviously, he not, he wouldn't have been either. So, I don't really think there's anybody else of, to, of note, right? Um, no, not on the team, I don't think. Yeah, as I was watching that, I was kind of thinking, like, Vaughn totally would have been in the minors. Serrano totally would have been in the minors. Like, they would have tried to work all that stuff out. But I guess when you don't really have a lot of options, it, it would have been that way anyways. Um, I'm going to get into Bob Euchre. Do you have anything before I do? Um, no. Okay. So, to me, I think he is as good as this movie is. I feel like he makes it 20% better. Oh, God, he's awesome. He's awesome. He is so the great. Is, I, I also I, it's already funny. Like I didn't know that he was an announcer. Like, I was reading some of the facts, and they were talking about how the guys who even hired him didn't know that he'd been announcing for, like, 20 years. Yes, I actually – I think I have that later in the internet facts. But, yeah, he's he's a he's been a long-time announcer for the Brewers, as we said. But he, like, makes it. And um, you, as you said, he's drinking. It starts out – you notice the first game, he's got a giant – half gallon of Jack Daniel sitting next to him and a good cut taken out of it. Uh, he has what appears to be a pina colada, which is really funny because you see him sipping on it right into the microphone and then uh, multiple shots of Miller Lite. And as you said, he was a Miller Lite guy. Uh, he was in the Miller Lite commercials. Uh, and then just his pure on sarcasm. We're all going to die someday. Anyways, what's the difference is kind of uh, thinking it was, was so good. It it makes the movie like again. This movie's great, but he just adds that extra like, just kind of encapsulates what that third person view is. I like the them showing the people in the city, which includes and I wrote his name down. Um, the construction worker who's Neil Flynn. He gets killed by the one armed man He's, on the train and fugitive. The fugitive. <laughs> Obviously, oh, really? He's the cop that gets killed. <laughs> yeah. I think. Oh, that's right. Um, he's the one who says, who are these fucking guys when he's staring at the newspaper? And then he goes, these guys. And then later on, he says, these guys aren't half fucking yeah. bad. He goes on, and if you remember, he's the first baseman in Rookie of the Year. That's right. Yeah, but this was his first movie. I had that later, so I wanted, I wanted to bring it up since we were, we were talking about it. 
one more thing I have is about the record itself. Because I was going to get into this later, but I, I kind of cut it aside here. So at one point, they're 15 and 24, which is seven games out of first. Then they are 60. And this is when they show Rachel pacing in the office complaining about them. Next thing you know, they're 60 and 60. They become 60 and 61 when they're nine games out of first. So he that's when they pull out the the big cardboard statue that they strip. Mm-hmm. And he he says we need 32 more victories, which would put them at 92 wins, mm-hmm. which was a good estimate because I went and looked. And someone actually put this in here. He said he figures they would need to win 30 more games. Really, he says 32 to win the division or at least force a one-game playoff. In order to win 30 games, the Indians would have to go 30-11 and 11 to finish the season which is 732 baseball. It's pretty good. Uh, they win that last game, and they finish theoretically either 90 and 72 or 92 and 70. So I pulled up the 1989 league when I pulled up the Indians thing. That Toronto Blue Jays actually won the AL East that year with a record of 89 and 73. So 90 and 92 wins was a pretty good guess. It was a nice job by them. Well, but you said they were 16 and 61, right? 16 61. So they would have gone 30 and 11 would have been. Well, you said- yeah, 30, 30 and 11, 30, 30, and, 30 and 12. He said that he needed to win 32 games. Well, he said 32, and then this other thing I found said 30, because I, I don't know if they ended up winning 30 games more, but because I don't remember them actually showing what the final record was. Well, they took all the clues. So I was kind of guessing. Clues off, so they got the 32 wins, so they probably went 30. Yeah, 30, I guess so. Yeah, so it would have been 92. So 92, yeah, 32 and 10, so they would have been 92 and 70, would have been the actual one. So. There you go. They actually would have been, theoretically, 90 wins would have won the AL East that year. Now, I'll get into what actually happened in 1989 and how they would have gotten their asses kicked after this game. Actually, it would have been 30, uh, 32 you, and 9. Yeah, sorry, 32 and 9. You're I, right. That, that so, my, what is that? The bad addition. Same thing. It's still, they would have ended up with 70. It's about 750 then. It would have been 92 and 70. Yeah, that's like you win three, lose one baseball for the rest of the season. So. Which is pretty beast- beastie. What are your thoughts on the movie, Mike? <clears throat> you went over actually a few things that I wanted to talk about. Like I said, I go, we talked before a little bit. Now, oh, we'll get in a little bit more as we go through the movie. But, you know, just the whole um, the loves, love triangle that goes on between him and uh, Rene Brousseau. I think, you know, it. I get it. It's fine. But uh, is it just a coincidence that he ends up in the same city that Rene Russo happens to be living in? You know, I know that they said, I wish we had him two years ago. And they're like, we had him two years ago. So they, you know. Yeah. So they, and then she said it was three years earlier is when they broke things off. So, yes, that is an odd coincidence because he probably was a journeyman. Going, you know, playing one year contract here, two year contract there. He's probably all over the yeah. country. That's that's what I said. I guess so. It's kind of like he's he's lucky he ended up in that city. And I've also like to him just like she's like I've come back to you so many times, and I'm and I'm just like he's just able to sw- swoop in and steal that immediately, yeah, grab immediately her. grabber. And I'm just that's what I said. I go this this goes under more of. A, I know it's a movie, but like I'm fairly certain they would have caught uh, Vaughn's lack of sight a little sooner. <laughs> like, yeah, that would have. Um, he's I just actually, sitting down, he squints, and he's like, "Hey, can you read this?" 
like yes oh yeah there is something else that i had that i thought it was about i just started getting curious about when he when jake taylor goes up and follows her and ends up being her boyfriend's place and he goes talking to those snooty people he's talking about how he plays major league baseball player and everything like that and talks about how he makes the league minimum and the league minimum in 1989 was $68,000. Yes, I saw right. that. I, I saw the same. So stat. then I saw the, the average household income at that time was 30000 So you're making over more than double than the average household income you were in 1989. So obviously $68,000 is a lot more than you know it was than it is now. So it started getting me thinking, because I thought it was more back then. I would have thought it was more around the $100,000 range. Well, in 1990, That's because in 1990 it, was- it went up to $100,000. <laughs> Like literally the next year. I'll say, and you know what? It's probably a lot more than that now because. Oh, I have, I have, I have a they, bunch. I got it all here, Ed. Don't you worry. Okay, I was gonna say because once they renegotiated everything in ninety two, ninety three during the lockout, yeah, it went up to hundred thousand dollars, and in two thousand, it was at two hundred thousand dollars. Now in two thousand eighteen, the Major League Baseball minimum salary is five hundred forty five thousand dollars a year, and the average yeah. salary. The average salary in 89 was just under $500,000 a year. And the average salary now is at $4.52 million. Yep. And Bryce Harper is about to re- re- recorrect the market again because he's probably going to make about $35 million a year. He might not make as much as Mike Trout. Mike Trout right now, I think he's at 30-something. He's the highest paid player right now. Uh, him and then um... – Kershaw, I think, makes about 30. So that makes sense. I was looking at the list just uh, like ever. And it's okay. Yeah, here, I just clicked on it. His earnings are 35.8. His salary is 30.23. And his endorsements are 2.5. So his, his actual contract's 32.3. And uh, yeah, you're right. Kershaw is next on the list. And then it's like David Price is making 30 million. And then you have Miguel Cabrera. Then you have Cespedes. Verlander, Stanton, and Albert Pujols, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, Cespedes. Cespedes and like Pujols, like they're they're like kind of bums now. And Cabrera hasn't. Uh, so you're paying him for how there is. Was, there actually is a really interesting article. It's funny you bring that up. Five thirty eight. Uh, the the statistical website just did a thing two days ago about how Machado and Harper are not signed yet. Which by the time this comes out, they may they'll probably be signed because we're we're about to hit spring training. It had to do with the fact that the reason they're not getting signed is because the contracts escalated and went out of control. And it's because of the whole Super 2 rule where you have to have like six years of control and arbitration and stuff. So these guys aren't getting their first real contract until they're 26, 27, 28 years old. And that's when they're actually players peak. That's when they're at their, at their best. But when they get when they get through that first contract, that first real contract, when they're in their late twenties, and they go to sign their second contract, it escalates drastically because of the collective bargaining agreement. So that's why Albert Pujols, at the age of thirty-two, signed a ten-year, you know, two hundred fifty million dollar contract, whatever it was, with the Angels, and the Cardinals just let him walk because they're like, we're not going to throw that kind of money at you. We know what we're getting down the line, and the Angels were like, we don't care. We got more money than we can spend. So here we go. And that same thing with like Miguel Cabrera and, and all those kind of players. So that that's the reason why. And they said what they need to do is bring back restricted free agency because that got killed 
during the the lock the strike season of the early '90s, they got rid of restricted free agency, and they said that would actually give players a chance one year earlier to get their big contracts, which would help slide everything a little bit. Little lesson in baseball uh, contracts. There you go. But other than that, Ed, I don't think I have anything else on my thoughts here. I think I noticed in the movie is that Pedro Serrano had a I could I definitely saw a Roberto Clemente baseball card up in his locker. I couldn't tell. I think Oh really? Might, that would make it sense. It might have yeah. been Jackie Robertson, but I'm not sure. I couldn't really tell. I couldn't see it, but I knew I just knew the picture of the Roberto Clemente card that I'd seen before and I knew it was Roberto Clemente, which makes sense because they're from they're playing they're both from Cuba, I think, and uh he's from Cuba in the movie, right? He's from Cuba in the movie. I thought Clemente was from the, the Yeah, the yeah, that's how he died in the plane going Yes, on the way back to the Dominican. Yeah. All right, Mike, what is the best scene in the movie? I put it's kind of like it flows that first day of spring training, like into the locker room. Cause kind of like, I, I had spring training as well. Like, like him going through yelling at Willie Mays for popping the ball up when he should be running it. So anytime he has to, you know, like hit the ball in the air, got to do 20 pushups. Uh, Roger Dorn, you know, don't give me this Olay bullshit. And then going over and making him do 40 sips. And then whenever he goes, <laughs> He, uh, when Dorn takes him his contract, he's like, I don't have to do any of these calisthenics. I don't want to calisthenics. I don't want to do blah, 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 blah. And he just throws, he's like, what do you think about that? And he just grabs the contract, yeah. throws it on the ground and just starts pissing on it. Doesn't say a word. And I'm just like, that's fantastic. Yeah. And you know what? That was, um, I'm pretty sure that's not in the TV version. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they always cut that one out. Cause those are scenes that I saw that I was like, I don't really remember that from the movie. There's also that part uh, when they're in the locker room, I can't remember what she actually says, but Phelps says something about like how shitty the team is, and it quickly cuts to the team. And they all like give her the the, the, the arm up, like up yours, up yours, yeah, all of them at the same time. Yeah. And I was like, I don't remember that for some reason. I don't that I I thought the same thing. I was like, man, I don't remember that at all. But but yeah, then that then how they just go, it just flows like straight into the locker room. And you know where it's like he talks about like I wouldn't be surprised if I get red ta- red tagged to that first day, which means like you're gonna get cut and Ricky Vaughn gets all nervous and everything. And then, but then it goes right into the scene where he sees Eddie Harris take off a shirt and he's like, "What's that?" And he's like, "Oh, that's Crisco." And then he like r- shows his hair. And he's like, "Whatever that crap is in his hair, bar Bardol or something." I had to Google. Yeah, Bardol. Vagisil. <laughs> yeah, they had like grabs his hip. He's like Vagisil, and he's like, and if Phelps really watching me, I put a little jalapeno juice up my nose and get it nice and runny. And he's like, you put snot on the ball. I ain't got an arm like you, kid. You know, pretty much like, yeah, just flows so good the whole way through. And I just like literally just have a, a smile because it immediately goes into the Joe Boo chant where he's chanting to this Joe Boo, and they have the whole like conversation between you know him and then talking about Jesus Christ, you know. You need to yep. tell me Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball. <laughs> just like, just like, it just it just goes so good. Like for it's like a solid like, probably like eight to ten minutes of just gold. Just I'm gonna actually I'm gonna add on to that because I actually want to say all the way through the spring training where you have uh, Hayes pops one up and starts doing the um, push ups right at a home plate. 
You've got Hayes trying to steal second, and he slides short. And there's another piece that's not on TV. They, fl- they he flicks them yeah, off. Yeah, because I was like, I don't remember that part either. <laughs> yeah, all the way through like the fight in the locker room, like all that. I I think all that spring training. I can I consider that all one big scene. So I'll, I'll add the extra five or seven, maybe. Well, I'll just say that twenty minutes from like the time they show up to camp to all the way through. It's it's just so good. It again, it it set the formula on how to do that in a comedic movie. They get to know the group. They're all useless and terrible um, with a whole bunch of one-liners in there. So that'll go into the next part. What are the best lines, Mike? Because there's got to be more than one. I have several written down. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm gonna go with this little exchange here. <laughs> I just like at the beginning when they're looking at the – there's just little lines everywhere. She hands him the list of people that he they want uh, – she wants him to look at, and he goes, "This guy, this, this guy here is dead." She's like, "Cross him off, then." <laughs> I, exactly, I didn't have it written down, but I've got to forgot about it. Like I forgot about, about, like about that one. <laughs> Never heard of these guys. This guy's dead. Come on, Dorn, get in front of the ball. Don't give me this Olay bullshit. <laughs> love that one, and then I love, I love whatever. Hayes does a little basket catch, and he's like, "Nice catch, Hayes! Don't fucking do it again." <laughs> I was like, "That's something my like, I could see like my dad saying to me like in baseball favor, like hot dogs." Yep. Something I could totally see my dad like looking at me and saying that to me. And then I think just one of the most iconic things is is the uh, is when the announcer's just like just a bit outside, it's <laughs> like five feet outside, in the, in yes, the, that, in the uh, backstop and everything. The just a bit outside is extremely iconic it's probably the most repeated line out of this movie there's a bunch of them but it's probably the one that's the most used because it can be anytime anything is just a bit outside really way outside Mm -hmm. or way off target that's what you say even if it's heavily overthrown you still say it it's perfect they um i remember like playing baseball with your cousin bill and everything like that i remember like just the the stuff they used to say when people would pitch like if a pitcher kept throwing the ball high, they'd be like, someone get him a bucket because he's throwing up. <laughs> yep, I remember that <laughs> one. Throwing. We used to, he used to yell that stuff all the time. Yeah, he was a big uh, trash talker <laughs> for sure. Um, but then I have just the, the little bit that I was just talking about where uh, Jake goes up to Pedro and he's like, que pasa there, Pedro? And he's like, bats, they are sick. I could no hit curveball. <laughs> Straight ball, I hit very much. Curveball, bats are afraid. I asked Joe Boo to come, take fear from bats. I offer him cigar and rum. He will come, Eddie. And this is what Eddie says. You know, you might think about taking Jesus Christ as your savior instead of fooling around with all this stuff. Shit, Harris. <laughs> ah, yes. Jesus. <laughs> I like him very much. But he no help with curveball. You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Okay, Harris, let's, let's start holy war here. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that main of that line. Just like, you mean to tell me Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? That's probably the whole thing. I have that one written down as well. That's one of my favorites. Anytime anyone brings up a curveball, that, that, that line immediately comes and out. It's just like, and he talks about like, he, that's where he like plants the, uh, the, the seed of, better not leave that rum laying around here with this, this bunch, you know, just like, yep. I, and, and that, he does have the, that just falls in right with the other line whenever they're like during that uh, that one game where he's like everybody leaves the locker room and 
Eddie Harris walks <laughs> walks out there and he sees the rum sitting there and he grabs the shot of him and he's just like up your butt, Joe Boo. <laughs> takes the shot. And I love when Susie leaves. He's like, yo, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. Then gets hit with a bat. bat. Yep. Immediately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill is a good one. Too. Um, I have, uh, I just like the line, like where right after Brown tells him about like Phelps's plan, like to move him to Miami and all that stuff where he's just like, guess there's only thing one left to do. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, win the whole fucking thing. Just like, and it just kind of like gets them like, yeah, let's get, Amped yeah, up. let's get together and like do this shit now, like and everything. I'm sure you're going to say the one that takes in the library, right? With no, Jake and, Lin- no. Jake and Lynn Wells. No, uh, no, that's not the one uh, I have. I have the one in the restaurant. Oh, one of my favorites is because uh, you said it involved her. I, I love the one where he's just like they're arguing. He's like talking about this girl he hooked up with and. Um, Detroit. <laughs> She's like, I had no choice. She bet me $50. She had a better body than you. I had to defend your honor. <laughs> Such a sleazy She's walk. like, oh, that's a She's like, that's a bunch of bullshit. I have a much better body than she does. And like everyone in the library looks at her and she's he's like, she's yep. right. And then to end my lines off, I know I had a ton of them. When, when he does go up and he's like talking to her boyfriend before they leave, he's like, stay away from her. Suck my dick. Yeah. <laughs> I also like when he throws the ball to second base and he's like, nice, <laughs> nice throw, Dickhead. And he's talking to himself because he like overthrew yeah. second base. Because I've said that kind of shit to myself when I've made a bad trip. Oh, God. All we do is talk, talk shit on ourselves. Just, oh, God, you fucking suck, you piece of shit. Just, <laughs> so uh, I definitely had the Jesus Christ line. I definitely had the just a bit outside. One I had was. Well, you may run like maze, but you hit like shit. I have that. a crazy I think line. I have that written under movie scenes where I just like a couple things down too. Uh, the one I have is when when they're in the restaurant. There's two lines out of Charlie Sheen right in this. They're sitting there. It's Willie Mays Hayes in a suit. Jake Taylor's in a sport coat. And then <laughs> Charlie Sheen has his ridiculous haircut, his one earring. He has a T-shirt, a, a leather jacket with no sleeves on, and then a tie. And he's like, I look ridiculous like this. It's like, sorry, it's the policy. He goes, I look like a banker. <coughs> it's like... <laughs> And the then, only uh, thing you have on you that looks like a banker is a tie. Yeah, exactly. And then he's looking down. He sees the, the wife down there. He says, they say, who is that? He goes, that's my wife. Does she know that? Hayes responds with, does she know that? <laughs> and then he's like, no, well, we should be at it and mess things up. And she, Charlie Sheen leans in. And this is the, the line I love. He goes, you want me to drag him out of here? Kick the shit out of him? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have the, I'm tired of this nickel and dime stuff. Because that we've yelled that line at each other about a million oh, times. That's a good line. And then the last one, I didn't notice it until this time around. So the guy from the Yankees, the huge dude that that um, Haywood, the big guy, yeah, walks up and he goes. He says something to Jake about essentially like I can't believe you're still playing. He's like, oh, Jake, what are you still doing here? He's like, God, I couldn't cut it in the Mexican league. Takes <laughs> his back to him, <laughs> which is funny. But the second time he comes up. Later, he goes, hey, Taylor, how's your wife and my kids? Which I'd never caught before. It's a great line. This is actually, so I, I looked into this. This is a reference to an unusual trade that occur- occurred before the 1973 season when two Yankee teammates named Mike Kakik and Fritz Peterson traded families with each other. 
I researched it. It's real. So this guy, these two guys, they were players and they, one had the other one over to a party at their house and kind of like everybody cleared out at like 11 o'clock. So the four of them went out to dinner afterwards, like went out to a diner and the wife rode with the opposite husband in the car and they hit it off so well that they decided that they went home with the opposite family essentially fell in love with each other's spouses. And instead of going through the craziness of moving families and splitting up assets, they just decided to have the husband switch families and they went that way for the rest of their lives. It's a fucking crazy story. <laughs> it's a hundred percent true though. Weird. Weird. But I just like the, how's your wife and my kids? I thought that was a really funny line. So anyways, Character, you keep going with that. There's so many things that just are just pop, just they're just fired in my head right now. Okay, go <laughs> for it. I still keep laughing about that. This guy's fire, dead. Fire. <laughs> fired, fired it here. He's like, should have gotten the live chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he just, he just gets that like KFC container. Yeah, he would sacrifice a live chicken. We can't have people throwing. I also like when. In the they first room. watch Ricky Vaughn throw in like his sleeveless shirt, and uh, he he throws it real fast, but it like goes whizzing right past her head, like. And he's like, "Nice velocity!" And the guy looks at him, he goes, "Sounds like it," because it went right past their their ears. So I just kind of got a little laugh out of that. Um, well, another thing that's right there that that's funny is it's not really a quote; it's more of a scene since you said it. When he comes walking out, he's yelling and he said, you know, and this is not the California Penal League. We wear caps and sleeves here, son. Charlie Sheen is just straight up just grabbing his balls like crazy. As in, like, I don't care what you have to say. <laughs> not like where a pitcher always grabs his balls. I'm talking, he really gets in there. Awesome. Like uh, Steve Martin in um, Playing Strings mm-hmm. and Automobiles playing with his balls. You know, you play with your balls a lot. Also, when his during Vaughn's first pitching, uh, when he's like, ball four, ball eight. <laughs> he's like, yep. And Vaughn has walked the bases. He's just like, how are they pitches? letting off those pitches? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like we the um, one hit, hit, one goddamn hit. Goddamn <laughs> the radio. It's all right. Nobody's listening. There's another one that he does too when he says, um... Post game show is brought to you by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. The only thing I was going to add was uh, the very th- when they're first, literally first arriving. I just wrote down a few notes on like how each of these players arrived. Like Jake Taylor looks kind of clean cut, you know. You can tell he's been there before. Aviators, all white suit with just like a white t shirt on underneath, kind of put together. Paige Serrano rolls up, all black, wearing a nice duster. That's the leather <laughs> nice duster. Nice duster, no shirt underneath. And they're like he defected. He defected from Cuba so he could practice voodoo. And you have Roger Dor who rolls up in like a Rolls Royce, looking super preppy with the golf yeah, clubs. set of golf clubs. Willie Mays in his suit, super sucking up to the coaches because he wasn't even invited there. In like a dolled up bug or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what. You yeah, know, it's you try to make it look nicer than it actually is. Um, then the wild thing rolls on the back of a motorcycle. With his like you know crazy hair, ripped vest, tats, like a garbage bag, pretty much with like his stuff inside. <laughs> I just love the guy's life. Look at this fucking guy. But um, favorite character was tough for me, man. I had two, 
So you can pick two if you want. I actually stayed away. I picked Lou Brown and Eddie Harris. <laughs> just like I, I like their stuff. I stay. I, Eddie Harris was a great pick. I ended with Lou Brown and Harry Doyle. Good, and I'm I'm okay with that pick too. I was just like, yeah. I was like, don't get wrong. I think this is maybe Charlie Sheen's best movie. Maybe one of the definitely one of them. You know, we'll talk about him later, obviously. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah, next. That's what I'm saying. Like, I know we're gonna be talking about him, but it's just like it's. I think it's easy to pick sometimes those guys, but I, they. I don't. I laugh the hardest. <laughs> even even yes. like you know your guy there. Like I laughed the hardest whenever um, when Doyle was talking too. They the, the thing about the side characters is that almost every line they have is funny, or memorable, or quotable. Whereas, like, Taylor and Hayes and Vaughn kind of have to carry the story, so they have tons of lines. Where the other guys, like, every time they come in, the, bad reference here, but they're, they're throwing 100 miles an hour and nailing every line they have. So, uh, as you said, Mike, Charlie Sheen. He is our top five for this week. The top five Charlie Sheen movies. Do you want to go first or second, Mike? Well, tar- Charlie Sheen acting performances, if you will. Mine are all movies, so I'm sure he's fine in Two and a Half Men, but I'm not including that. But movies, I have down Platoon, Major League, Hot Shots, uh, The Rookie, and Red Dawn is my top five. And I threw some honorable mentions in there. And some people are probably like, why didn't he pick like Wall Street? Because <laughs> like it, which is good, but it's just one of those movies I haven't seen enough times to consider it. Like I've seen Red Dawn a shit ton of hot shots. Hot Shots a lot, Major League, Platoon, and even The Rookie a whole handful of times. Mainly The Rookie, for some reason, I feel like it was on TV a lot for some reason, and I just caught it a lot of the time. It's just I've just seen it more. But Wall Street is really, really good. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. I just had to go, like, I could have easily tossed, like, Young Guns and, like, Men at Work up there, too, if I wanted. He's got a pretty good catalog. Definitely yeah, late, uh, like, mid, late 80s, early 90s was, like, his heyday. The the mid eighties to the mid nineties were really the mid two thousands because two and a half men is where he made most yeah. of his money. I even like scary uh, movies, like his character in the scary movies. I just don't like the scary. Yeah, he's so much. That's that much. Yes, I'll agree on that. Uh, I, I had a, a a five in reverse. I had two and a half men. He's really pretty funny on that show. They let him just essentially be Charlie Sheen, and he got more and more ridiculous before he went insane. Like truly insane in the what was that like twenty twelve is when he really went off the rails, mm-hmm. but he's pretty funny on on Two and a Half Men. Number four, I had the Three Musketeers. I love that movie growing up, and he's he plays the priest that kills people, so it's kind of funny ish. Uh, number three, I had Major League. Number two, I did have Wall Street. I've seen that movie way more than some of those other ones you've talked about, like Red Dawn and Platoon and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then number one, I actually had – I put together Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Two because I feel like I've seen those movies 25 times each. And he's just – he's so ridiculous. He's so ridiculous in him. He's great. 100% agree. All right. So let's get deeper into the movie. We've already gone through a lot of the notes I have, so I'll let you start, Mike. Just like you want me to go through movie scenes whatever you wh- yeah wherever you want to go from from the movie scenes on um you know 
as we were talking about like favorite quotes and stuff like that, we really went through a lot of like the movie scenes and stuff like that. The movie that I wanted to talk about, there weren't too much. Like I said, it's a really good movie. It's, it's, it's filmed well. Like I said, I, one thing I know that like, uh, even though it takes, it's supposed to take place in Cleveland, I know a lot of it was filmed in Milwaukee. Just like Correct. stuff, you know, little things like that, that, that I didn't know before this movie. I'm sure you probably had that like on internet facts or something like that. But, uh, yeah. I have, I have actually um, have quite a lot of internet facts. I, I was saying, I'm just like, the only thing we didn't really talk about is how Dorn's wife's watching TV catches hit, catches Dorn with another woman. So then she gets herself all dolled up, takes advantage. It's like everything plays perfectly. Like, uh, you know, Vaughn's down in the dumps because he finds out he's not starting the last game of the year because he hasn't had pitched well against the Yankees. Dorn's wife, looking smoking hot, goes up, hits on him, hooks up with him. He doesn't know who she is. And then finds out the next day, oh, by the way, I'm Roger Dorn's wife. And then like, but it's yeah. super nice to him. Like, you're such a nice kid. Like, and leaves. And like, I love when she walks out and it's just like, hey, Jake. And he's like, yeah. he's like, I didn't know, I swear. And then uh, I love, you know, after they win the whole thing, like he gives him the ball and he's just like, strike this motherfucker out. You know, like, yep. and then he punches him later. <laughs> and it, actually, he actually punched him. Oh, oh really? knew that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the uh, punch wasn't entirely fake at the end. When they're, ce- like we said, when they're celebrating, he slugs him in the face. Uh, he accidentally connected with his cheek. They didn't, and they didn't want to lose any time shooting. So, like, they avoided, like, filming him on, like, the side where the red mark was on his face. Huh. Wow. So there's that, too. Anything else you want to add, Ed? That's really all I wanted to just add. Said we really didn't talk about that part because Dorn and Vaughn have kind of been nemesis throughout the whole movie. And then you have that just like is like puts it over the edge, but they kind of bury the hatchet even though he banged his wife. <laughs> yeah, because they won. Winning fixes everything. Well, right? that and it's like, just ex- are you going to get mad at him for banging your wife when he didn't know it was your wife when you were cheating on your wife? And you're, and you're whoring around yeah. anyways, yeah. Just the I guess a couple things. I don't know if these are, I know it's a movie butts or not. So this is kind of going to blend together. Well, first a couple things of note, Tom Berenger was 40 when this movie came out. So that makes sense of being like his last year in the sun, as he said, Rene, Rene Russo was 35 just for age differences. A couple things that uh, I caught there. I, I don't know how you could possibly, be Willie Mays Hayes and still be asleep in the parking lot with all that going on. You'd have to be one hell of a heavy, heavy sleeper. That and like they're firing that gun off and like he doesn't wake up on exactly times that that gun goes off. But it makes the scene funny. So Maybe he's I a heavy sleeper. I know it's a movie. You can pick him up and drag him out. No, that's that's like the only thing that I'm just kind of like I would totally wake up. But I mean, you always hear those things about like people, you know, like are on a blow up mattress and like people like put them out in the middle of water. <laughs> <laughs> I've never I've heard that. Like they put them in like the middle of like a lake or something like that, and then kind of like yeah, and they kind of like they all just are sitting there waiting for him to wake up, essentially. Yeah, I mean, what if they roll off and they're still asleep? Yeah, that's not good if it doesn't wake them up. All right, uh, I've said it before, but I fucking hate the five 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 phone number in a movie. It just ruins it. But I fucking hate it. I hate the five 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 number. This is gonna this is gonna mold right into the. I know it's a movie, but. Serrano would never get a hit after the month of April. Any scouting report on him would say, like, maybe the first month 
people would have been just kind of pitching to him regular, throwing him some fastballs, and he's crushing them, and he's missing on breakers. But by the time they get to to April, I'm sorry, by the time they get to May, he would be O for 340. I feel like the story behind this is you you can't assume that he absolutely cannot hit a curveball. You have to think that that's just like his weak point. Like he he's hit curveballs before. It's just like definitely his Achilles heel. Like it's definitely like the biggest part of his game. He needs to work on. He's just, you know, um, he might be driving some of them into the corner, but the rest of them, he's just making shitty contact and driving them into the ground, I guess. Like if he feels like he knows the curveball's coming a lot of the time, he probably, he might be able to like, fouled off or something like that and they're obviously showing that like the exaggeration sides but like in reality if he's in the majors he can probably at least like get a hit here and there off that you know he's got to at least have a batting average of like over 200 you know to like at least maintain that roster spot that's the theory but i'm just saying he wouldn't it would just be every at bat would be curveball curveball slider change up like he wouldn't see a fastball after may 10th Vaughn would probably have been in the, as we said, like he probably would have been in the minors, but actually I'm thinking he might've even just come out of the bullpen for like the first half of the season. He's too wild. That's true, but you just he, have a guy to come in he and did, just blow, he did, throw he gas. He did come out of the bullpen the first part of the season. Remember he came out, it was four nothing and he gave, walked the, walked oh the yeah, that's true. All right. Well, yeah. And then gave up a home run. <laughs> Another thing, I don't know what things would have been like before the collective bargaining agreement, but I feel like the MLB would never let teams travel by bus. Uh, there's not nearly enough time to get from city to city. Like, let's say they were playing the Mariners one day, and then they had to play at home. That's like I'm a wondering two and a half day drive. I'm wondering if they're they're still taking that shitty plane, but then they're also taking a shitty bus from the plane to the stadium. Could be that. Well, I, that looked like they were driving like cross country. Cleveland, and you're going to Columbus. Like I know in the minors, almost all of it's by bus because it's all regional. Like everything is bus travel in the minors. But I keep thinking uh, for some reason I said Columbus, and Columbus isn't even a baseball team. No, no, no. <laughs> all right. Uh, lastly, and this isn't. I know it's a movie, but this is kind of a follow up. And for the record, we're not going to do the Where Are They Now because they made a sequel and a third one to this. But we will do some recasting. So the winner of the Yankees-Indians game would actually go on to have to play the Bash Brother Oakland A's of the late 80s, the McGuire, Conseco, Ricky Henderson team. They would have gotten crushed. That team won 99 games that year and went on and won the World Series 4 nothing against San Francisco. That was actually the year of the earthquake that was during the World Series. All right, so lots of lots of internet facts here. The Rachel Phelps character and her plan to move the Indians was inspired by a real by real life Minnesota Twins owner Calvin Griffith. In the 1970s, during the planning stages of construction of the Metrodome, Griffith had negotiated for an escape clause in the team's lease, which said if the Twins' home attendance was under 1.4 million per season for three straight years. The team could be released from its contract and leave Minnesota. And I didn't write down the rest of it, but essentially they were getting close to it. They were having like three straight awful, awful seasons and he was putting in shitty players and someone stepped in and bought out, bought him out in essence and kept the team there. So that's kind of interesting that actually did almost happen in real life. 
Next, uh, when Willie Mays Hayes says he can run like Hayes, he's referring to Bullet Bob Hayes, an Olympic gold medalist sprinter who became a Hall of Fame wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys and San Francisco 49ers from 1965 to 75. Once considered the fastest man alive as the holder of several world records, he's the only athlete to win an Olympic gold medal and a Super Bowl ring. I think he actually has still holds the fastest leg. He was the anchor on the four by one. I think he holds the fastest. Has still has the fastest split for the anchor. Like eight, Even faster than after Bolt? like it's like eight point something seconds. That's incredible. I believe that. I literally I was I was watching something about the fastest running backs or people to ever like receivers ever to play like the game, and he came he came up as the number one, and then they that that stat flashed up, and I was like, wow, he really was fast. <laughs> So there you go. That's the Hayes. I always wondered who the Hayes he was talking about. I really, I never really knew. Next, uh, according to David S. Ward, who's the director, Wesley Snipes was not a very skilled baseball player in real life and having never played it much before. Ward said Snipes was so awful at throwing a baseball that they didn't have any scenes of him throwing it. And as soon as I read that, I went, oh, yeah, I guess there aren't really any of him throwing it. And I actually thought Wesley Snipes was – I mean, he's super athletic. White man can't Between jump. this and Blade. Yeah, and White Man Can't Jump. I forgot about that one. But I guess he just had, like, atrocious mechanics because he never did anything. Real-life relief pitcher Mitch Williams with the Chicago Cubs at the time of the film's release was inspired to model himself after the Rick Vaughn character. He began to wear the number 99 and had Wild Thing played when entering games, shortly earning the name Wild Thing. In addition, the modern-day tradition of relief pitchers, men, mainly closers, having their intro songs was largely inspired by this film. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I love the fact that relief pitchers have walk entrance music. And if this is the reason why, that's even better. I hope so. Uh, which we talked about this. I forget what movie it was, but we discuss, I think it was The Sandlot. We discussed what your entrance music would be if you were a Major League Baseball player. During the 2016 baseball season, real-life Cleveland Indians players Jason Kipnis and Mike Na- uh, Napoli acquired two Jobu statues and set them up as shrine in the team's locker room at Progressive Field. They initially placed an offering of vodka in it, but then switched to rum, resulting in a 6 nothing victory over the Tampa Bay Rays in June. In July, they even sacrificed a supermarket chicken to help end teammate Jan, uh, Jan Gomez's slump. People taking it to heart. Uh, this you mentioned before, when director David S. Ward asked Bob Euchre to play Harry Doyle in the film, Ward had chosen Euchre because of his acting work in Miller Lite ads and on the sitcom Mr. Belvedere. It wasn't until Ward met Euchre did he learn that Euchre had been, for nearly 20 years, the radio broadcaster of the Milwaukee Brewers. Which is such a funny coincidence. Harry Doyle's line, just a bit outside, which, which became one of the film's more memorable and imitated catchphrases, wasn't in the script. Bob Euchre improvised the line and several other under initial encouragement from David S. Ward. Makes sense, just because Bob Euchre's that good. Also, David Ward is a lifelong Cleveland Indians fan. His inspiration for creating the movie was simply because he thought it would be the only way he'd ever see the Indians actually win anything. And to this point, he's right. Charlie Sheen was a high school pitcher who, offered, uh, who was offered a baseball scholarship to the University of Kansas. In the movie, he threw 101 miles an hour, but in reality, Sheen could throw in the high 80s and made it easy to simulate the fastball on film. Charlie Sheen admitted to Sports Illustrated that he took steroids to prepare for his role. He believed the steroids he took caused caused him to increase his fastball to 85 miles per hour. Uh, One other thing I read is they actually moved 
I think they said they moved the mound forward a couple feet to make it look like he was throwing faster. It up 10 feet. I saw that fact. Is that what it was, 10 feet? Okay. Yeah, moved it up 10. And, Pitchers uh, normally pitch from like 60, it's around 60, a little over 60, maybe it's 60 and a half feet, I think, is where they normally pitch from. Uh, 60 feet, 6 inches. Yeah. yeah, 60 and a half feet. So, yeah. So, uh, lastly, the scene where, Bo- where Harry Doyle dabs some Jack Daniels whiskey behind his ear was improvised by Bob Euchre. He said it was meant to show that his character liked whiskey so much that he would put it on himself like perfume. So I know there's a lot there to digest, but like there was just I had to cut out a bunch of stuff too. There was there's a lot of things that were out there. I was glad. Makes it fun. Mm-hmm. What else do you have, Mike? They had an alternate ending for it. It was actually okay. the movie's original ending. It's where Rachel Phelps wasn't really as bitchy as you think. She played a bitch and pretty much acted that way to motivate the players because if the team actually had a poor season, they were going to go bankrupt. But the test audience hated it so much. They prefer that Rachel remain unlikable. <laughs> I'm glad they stuck with what they I am had. glad, too. Needed a villain. Um, Charlie Sheen said that uh, Major League was the best script that he had read since Platoon. And when, de- when, he, when described it, uh, he said, it wasn't like catnip. It was like crack. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy would know. He would know. And I read somewhere that Charlie Snipes' character was actually based off Ricky Henderson. Totally yeah, I can to- see that. To the total thing, yeah. Talked about that. Uh, Dennis uh, Haysbert, who played Pedro Serrano, that scene where he hits the home run in the stadium, yes. very end, he really hit that home run. Like, he really hit a home run in the stadium and was so pumped up that he kept the bat in his hand and was actually, like, just that pumped. He forgot to drop the bat and ran, ran around because he was just trying to, you know, swing and hit the ball as hard as he could pretty much for a good Right, and he, he just got a good piece of it. Hit a home run, so he's running around the base with the bat in his hand, like just so happy. Do you have the do you have the stat about the bat running around the bases with the bat? No. Okay. So I, I this was one I, I skipped over the time, but I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually not illegal to run around the bases with the bat in your hand. You are not allowed to run around with anything that might increase your ability to run the bases faster. The umpire can call it. So it's not officially illegal to run around with the bat. Because I always thought that it was like, well, he would have been thrown out immediately because he's running around with the bat. It's not illegal unless the umpire decides that it's increasing your speed and ability. Like if you were running around swinging at people as you went, then obviously that would be. But it, there's nothing illegal about it. So there you go. I got uh, Steve Yeager, who was the first base coach. He was a professional baseball player, former big league catcher. Um, he was the first base coach, Duke Temple, who was on the screen during the movie, actually did a lot of the um, doubles, doubling work for Beringer, like throwing bases to like first, you know, stuff like that to make him look like a steed. Yes. Um, Overthrowing second base, calling himself an asshole. Sure he might have done that on his own. <laughs> the original title wasn't Major League. It was actually called Dead Last. Really glad they didn't. Yeah, Major League. Actually, I was thinking that when we were – getting ready to start this major league is such a good name for the movie i was gonna say oh when they first ran uh out of the stadium scenes there's about twenty thousand extras that were brought in to fill up the stands and apparently dennis haysbert admitted to being like emotionally overwhelmed by the experience and jaeger noticed that he was overwhelmed and could tell that he was like feeling he's like that's what it's like 162 times a year man yeah that'd be cool That'd be really cool. I think one time in high school when we played at uh, 
I don't know if that would have been PNC Park. It might have been Three Rivers Stadium still. No, it was PNC Park because uh, a very good friend of ours was the first high school player ever to hit a home run. Was the first high school player. That's right. I point that out every time I can. That is correct. The last internet fact that I have is that a high school friend of ours recently won a Grammy Award. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's correct. A high school friend of ours. A good friend of ours. Dead Parks. Way to go, buddy. Gotta, Congratulations. Yeah. For the... The opera adaptation of Steve Jobs, the one for best best opera performance. The, the, right? the, sh- the show was uh, called Revolution of Steve Jobs. Actual, okay. and he actually played Steve Jobs in the opera. Yeah, Ed Parks, friend of the show. Um, I, be- I believe okay. he referred to us as Jags. <laughs> he goes, you guys are yeah, that feels about Jags. right. <laughs> and I said, good, buddy. <laughs> Ed, congratulations to you. Uh, I'm sure you spend a decent amount of time on the road, so I hope we help fill your ears a little bit. Lastly, as I said before, we skipped the Where Are They Now because they made a sequel to this, and every single player would be essentially retired and either coaching or addicted to painkillers, so we just passed on that one. <laughs> but we, I, I think we came up, at least the, we each took four people from this movie, and kind of recast it if we were to make it today. I'm not saying this movie needs remade, but it's fun to kind of think of who could theoretically be in it. So do you want to go with your four first, or do you want to go with your four second? Um, go ahead, Ed. You go first. All right, so let's start out. I have four of the main characters, so we'll start out with the main character, Jake Taylor. I thought about it. I tried to keep the age range right, and I ended up with James Vanderbeek. Because you need a guy who's athletic. Amazingly, James Vanderbeek is one year older than Tom Berenger was when this movie was filmed. And James Vanderbeek looks like he's about 34, and, Jake, and Tom Berenger looked like he was about 56. So, uh, but he's about the right age. So I figure he could, he could throw a baseball around and be athletic looking enough. I like that. Secondly, okay, secondly uh, Willie Mays Hayes. I had a really hard time with this. I was trying to find an African-American actor who's comedic under the age, really under the age of 30, that was athletic too. I had a nightmare of a time finding it. So if anybody has one that they can think of that would make a better one, please send it over to us. Tweet us at WorthTheWatchPC or email us, WorthTheWatchPodcast at gmail.com because I really would like to come up with a better name. I end up on Corey Hawkins. Corey Hawkins is the guy who played Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. And he was in the most recent where they did the 12-hour adaptation of 24, the one where they were in D.C. They did uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. He's really athletic. And he at least could play that part. I've never seen him play anything comedic, so I don't know if he can be funny or not. And I told you this when we were talking before. I thought about doing Michael B. Jordan, but the same things with him. He's athletic. I've never seen him do anything comedic. He's a very serious actor. He's a very good actor. I just don't know if he can do something comedic like Wesley Snipes was. And looking back, what a shooting star they caught with Wesley Snipes at that age. Because even like when they did Omar Epps in the second one, he's not nearly as funny. Thoughts? That's 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 tough. Trying to find someone that young. Because like you said, go, we, we have trouble finding any actor that age. <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> We're terrible. We're terrible. Like we... Actors our age or older, we're fine. 
Yeah, I think we need a third co-host who's like ten years younger than us. Like knows what's going on with the peeps because <laughs> yeah. we obviously suck at finding people that are like under the age of like twenty-seven. Yeah, those, those goddamn youngster kids. Yeah. Next, I have Ricky Vaughn, and I I hate that we keep doing this, but we keep defaulting back to Zach Efron because I think he'd be perfect to fit in here. He can be ridiculous. I, he's athletic, and I think he would. I think he actually would be really good as Ricky Vaughn. I could see him being Ricky Vaughn. We kind of end up circling around. We had a little run of movies where we kept putting Tom Hardy in every single one of them <laughs> um, because it just kind of was a good fit. But the I feel like Zac Efron's going to continue coming back in when we do these movies. And lastly, we have Lynn Wells, Jake Taylor's love interest. I thought about picking Allie Larder and getting the group, getting the gang back together between her and Vanderbeek from Varsity Blues. But she's a few years older than him, so I ended up going with January Jones. She was the she was the wife in Mad Men. She's very attractive, but also has like a little bit of a toughness to her. And I think she'd be she'd be the, a good fit for Lynn Wells. Who do you have, Mike? I have uh, Pedro Serrano, Serrano, and I picked a guy named Winston Duke. I was trying to... is that the guy from um, Black Panther? Yeah, he's like. Yeah, big guy, real big guy. Yeah, that's a good thing. Like, that's the thing. I was trying to find like a big guy that looked like you just like, and I kept finding some older actors that were bigger. Like I said, I go, I had trouble finding like a younger actor, and I was like, "There's one other guy. There's another guy in that Black Panther. I can't remember what his name is. That um, I thought might be able to." No, I know who you're talking about because I actually looked at him too. He's a little younger. I was like looking at the guys that are like big, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's a guy who who I want." And they're all like five nine. I'm like, "No, I need a guy that's at least like six two, <laughs> like you know, who's somebody staying yeah. next to these guys. Like he at least looks like a big guy." Yeah, no, Winston Duke's a good pick. I like that. And then um, for Roger Dorn, I picked Ryan Gosling. Good pick. I figured he's perfect. I have like pretty boy guy that could act like that. He's better than everybody, and I'm just like, "Yep." Yep, that's good. I like that there. Uh, Lou Brown. I was thinking if you want to go a little older, like in your mid-60s age, you go with a guy like Jeff Bridges. Good gravelly voice right there. Um, or I was thinking like if you want to stick with somebody who I've seen in baseball movies, like a Kevin Costner maybe, or even like a Billy Bob. We just talked about him last week. Yeah, you need someone that's a little – because he's uh, between all of it, I, he's done co- he's done comedies and he's done coaching. Yeah, I think I kind of like Billy Bob. The more I think about it, he's done two different coachings. He did a Friday Night Lights and he did Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears. And as we were saying, we could use some more Billy Bob in our life. If they write him a couple good lines, he's going to deliver them. I think Billy Bob be really good there because he could look a little down. Da- he could look real haggard as well. <laughs> you know, Costner's so clean cut. Bridges is is pretty haggard, and he can play the haggard role, but I think I like Billy Bob more. I agree. I said I go definitely Jeff Bridges and Billy Bob were definitely my higher up. I just threw Coster in there just because I know he likes baseball. He's obviously done baseball movies before. He kind of became the default for a while because he was the only person in Hollywood that could throw a spiral or could like be a, a remotely athletic until McConaughey came along. Got um, and then for Rachel Phelps, we have Evangeline Lilly. 
for those of you who don't know who Evangeline Lily is, she is the she's the Wasp. Yep. Ant Man from Ant Man. She's from um, she's the super attractive elf from the Hobbit movies too. Ah, uh, yes, the Hobbit movies. You are correct. The one that that falls in love with the elf. Correct. You are correct. She she she. I think she'd play that role quite well. Ex show girl that's got a mean streak to her. Yeah. Because she definitely has a, plays a good mean streak in Ant Man. Like you could see her being kind of bitchy. Oh yeah, taking no sh- taking no prisoners. All right, Mike. Anything else before we go? That's all I got there, Eddie. Uh, I want to tease what our next one's going to be. I got to pull up the list here. Our next one, uh, our first Leonardo DiCaprio DiCaprio movie. I'm going to kind of leave it at that and see if you guys can kind of think of what movie it's going to be. But just a little a little tease to wet your whistle for next week or two weeks from now. Wet. Uh, if, whistle. Wet that whistle, yeah. Wet that, wet that DiCaprio whistle. So, ladies, don't get too excited. Don't wet that whistle too much. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Worth the Watch PC. Email us at Worth the Watch Podcast at Gmail dot com and find us on Facebook. Just look up Worth the Watch Podcast and like us. Share us. Please keep sharing with the with your friends. Things have started to really take off. It's it's great to see that people are enjoying this and a- adding other people and they're enjoying this. And it looks like a lot of people are going back and starting from the beginning. So it appears that people are enjoying kind of getting all of it. So please continue to share. Please continue to share. Uh, other than that, thanks, Mike. And we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Catch you later. Welcome to the Worth the Watch podcast. While there are plenty of movie review podcasts out there, our goal is not to be that. This is supposed to be a fun look back at movies from our past that we have enjoyed. We just want to fill that place between your ears for about an hour. Make your commute to work a little more tolerable or let you reflect on a movie that you may have seen. Movies can make us laugh and cry, make us cringe in fear, or be a shot of adrenaline. We watch them in theaters with total strangers, at home with friends and family, or on Sundays when it's on cable for the 300th time. When One We Love comes on TV, we get excited. It's almost like, hey, someone else likes this movie too. So if you like what we do, let us know. Follow us on Twitter at WorthTheWatchPC, again, at WorthTheWatchPC, or email us at worththewatchpodcast at gmail.com. Make suggestions of movies you love and want to hear. Tell us what areas you want us to cover. Please keep things clean. We have families who don't want them to be worried about us. Please remember, this is all in good fun, and if something on here offends you, tough shit. Get over it and find something else to be upset about.